Uh, so we are about to go into a, a new series, and as I was thinking about this series, I thought of there's a bunch of people, a bunch of you included, I think, who I do not understand. I do not know how you live this way, okay? And that way is there are people who when they get in the pool, they get one foot in like this, and they wait, and they go, ooh, that was kind of cold. And they go, ooh, that, was, that also was cold up to here now. And then they kind of slowly get in. All right, how many of you are slow getter inners? Okay, if you, a lot. this is insanity. Okay, so I, I was a swimmer, and I, I still to this day, I hate getting in the pool. I love swimming. I hate getting in the pool. And, I, and that whole process, I just cannot understand. Because you know what I do? I just jump in. I, it's like ripping the Band-Aid off, man. Make it all happen at once. You're cold for like just a second, and then it's over, right? But maybe you can try to explain to me your theory about why that other way works better. I just think it's painful for longer, is what I think. Uh, but whatever, we're going to get to that. We, I talk about that because we are about to jump into a bunch of scripture, and it's actually aptly called Immerse. We're going to be reading through this book. Actually, you can use your own Bible. It's totally fine. You can read in whatever translation you'd like. Uh, we are offering these in the back. You can grab one of these books uh, for 10 bucks, I think. If you haven't got the 10 bucks, you can still take one. That's fine. Uh, the reason why we would use this is partly it's just easier for the page numbers. It is done in a single column like a book. It makes it easier to read. None of the chapters are there. None of the verses. You can find what verse and chapter it is in the top corner. It does tell you that. But it's just a real easy translation. And it's the New Living Translation, which might be a little bit different for some of you and just kind of add a little bit of vibrancy as you read through this. There is a reading plan that we're going to be doing, the eight-week reading plan. And you, if you just follow this, you can keep up with us. But it's going to be kind of fast. This next week, as you read through. Uh, if you start reading now, I want you to read through the whole book of Joshua. So it's, uh, I don't know how many pages it is, but you can do it. It's uh, Joshua. There you go. 39 pages. You can do it. You can do it. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to be jumping in to Scripture, immersing ourselves in Scripture. You know, sometimes here at church, we look at just one verse or maybe a specific uh, specific passage, and we kind of tease out a bunch of the words in that. What we're going to be doing in this is just throwing ourselves in to get some of the broad swath of Scripture, to be able to say, hey, what, what is actually in there? And if you have been with us for the previous couple of Immerse series, uh, you've seen that you just kind of get to be more acquainted with Scripture. And if you are just joining us, that's totally fine. You can jump in anytime. But as we go through this, what we're doing is we're slowly going to be able to make our way through the whole Bible, which is kind of cool. You can end up saying, yeah, I've, I've read the whole thing. We, so this series is going to be on Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. And they call it kingdoms because it's going to be the beginning of the kingdom of the Israelites and the beginning of uh, that whole series of kings that are there. So we're going to be jumping into that whole thing. And what we're going to do on Sundays, so you're going to do your reading during the week. You read that, and hopefully you're in a discussion group. If you would like to be in a group of discussing some of these things with some people, there's just a few simple questions that we go through. What stood out to you this week? What was surprising? That kind of thing. Uh, you can be with people just for this eight weeks. It's a great introduction to be with uh, some people. I would like to connect you to that. If you are interested in that, you can write that on your Connect card, or you can talk with me afterwards. Uh, but this is uh, what we're going to do then on Sundays is we're going to look at one particular person, a look at a small passage, maybe a theme that comes out from that verse. 
And I'm sure that you will have some questions from these things. There is, it's going to be a really interesting eight weeks as we go through these things. In these passages, there's lots of stuff that you may be familiar with, at least have heard of before. We're going to have stories like David and Goliath. It's one of the things we're going to hit. Samson and Delilah is in this part. Um, there's a whole bunch of things that you know, Solomon getting his wisdom, and uh, there, there are things that will be very familiar to you. But if you haven't read this stuff since you were a kid, maybe, or if you have only really read these stories from a children's Bible to a child, I think you are going to be in for a surprise. Uh, there is a lot of stuff as you read these stories, again, as an adult, not only is there a lot more depth to these things, there are some things that will kind of trouble you, actually. There's some things that are a bit bothersome, that are a bit, uh, that are a bit problematic. And part of that is because the, the story of the Bible is not always, it's not about the way that life is supposed to be. It's the way that life is. What actually happened? And the way that life is, is a life that has people in it. And people are messy. People are messy, especially, and if you have, if you have kids in your life, you know kids are especially messy. If you, you know people who act childishly or immature, they make your life very messy as well. Immature people mess our lives up even more. I, I do remember, uh, I have a friend, I worked with a guy at uh, uh, a business that I was at before <clears throat> who had a young boy. I don't remember, he was like three or four. And he came in one morning and he was um, visibly um, kind of frazzled, but he had kind of a grin on his face still. And we're, what, what happened? Why, why are you late to work today? He said, my son. <laughs> my son. He said, my wife and I were in the other room. Do you remember this story, Karen? My wife and I were in the other room. And we hear my son, he said, we heard my son jumping on his bed saying, sticky, 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 sticky. He said, what is that? He said, we went in there and he had one of those, like the honey bears, and he was squirting honey in his bed going, sticky, 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 sticky. That is a mess. And I want to tell you, that is not far from the mess that we are going to find in the book of kingdoms. Sticky, sticky, sticky. You're going to find a lot of things in here and you're going to think, oh my goodness, how is God going to clean this up, right? The books are messy. There's messy in there like a four-year-old jumping on a bed with a pot of honey. It's going to be messy like that. And messy enough that it made me ask the question. As I was reading through some of these things, I thought, I thought of a scripture. In 2 Timothy 3, he says this. It's, uh, Paul is writing to Timothy. He says this. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting, re- uh, correct- uh, teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I'll read that again. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So scripture is God-breathed, like God inspired it. He, the word inspire means literally that he breathed into it. He, God breathed into this scripture to make it useful for us, to, to train us and rebuke us, correct us, move us in the right direction, and be equipped for everything that we need, to give us what we need. And I thought, all scripture? All, all scripture? 
Like, God, have you read these books that we're about to read? All scripture? Really, is this useful? Because, you know, when, when we read about how Jesus cared for people, uh, healed people in great need, healed their physical ailments, their, their, their societal rejection, you think, yes, that is God. Breathe. I can see how that's useful to me. You can read something like Psalm 23, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. That's something that has been uh, consoling to people for centuries. Yes, I can see how God inspired that. I, I can even see it in other places in Scripture that are, that are difficult for me to read, maybe, because they correct some way in my life, or maybe they, they challenge me in the way that I live. And I can still say, you know, I, I don't necessarily like that. It's not very easy for me, but I can see why that is inspired by God. I can see that God is using that to push me in a different direction. Uh, but when, when we get to... Not-so-cuddly scriptures? Is that a good way to say it? These are not-so-cuddly of scriptures that we're going to read. In fact, that might be kind of a weak way of saying that, not-so-cuddly. You know, the, the beginning book that we're going to read, Joshua, is about the conquest of the promised land. And there are some people who have compared that to maybe something like a brutal acts of war, uh, that there's, uh, maybe it's like ethnic cleansing. Is that what's going on here? Is this, is this genocide? Is God okay with that? That doesn't seem okay. That doesn't seem okay to me today. Or uh, what do we do with things like in the book of Judges? Um, there are occasional leaders who rise up, who try to help uh, bring God's people to do what's right. But the, the band of leaders in the Judges, it is definitely the island of misfit toys, okay? It is not good. The, the, the word, I kept thinking, I'm like, what is the word that fits for who these people are? Miscreants miscreants. It means somebody who doesn't follow the law, doesn't do always what's right. Uh, there are people who cause problems. That's what the judges end up doing. Uh, and there are a bunch of miscreants. I mean, some of the people who are, are there, um, there's a guy named um, Jephthah who ends up killing his own daughter because he makes a really rash promise to God. Um, there is uh, Samson. He, he's kind of a womanizing thug. That one in particular, I will tell you, Samson does not look good. As an adult, when I read it, you're like, yeah, long hair, cool, kind of like a Fabio sort of thing. No, no, not good. Samson, not good, not good, not so smart. One of the greatest heroes in the book of Judges is a lady who kills a guy in a pretty spectacular way. She, uh, so that one's kind of a really cool, her name is Yael, and we know somebody named Yael named after that lady. She's pretty awesome. Um, uh, the book of Samuel, you know, the, the hero of the book of Samuel is David, and he, he's upheld as this really great guy, but he's kind of a mixed bag. Uh, we have First and Second Kings, and that is a roller coaster of emotions, uh, of all the different kings and how they misuse their power. Every once in a while, you get somebody who's good, uh, and the summary of their lives, it's like, it's like a whole series of very short, very unflattering obituaries. Like, uh, it's not good, not good. Uh, so what do we do with scripture like that? How is this kind of scripture God-breathed? How is it that these kind of things can be useful for correcting us and, and challenging us in our way of living? How, how can this help us to be equipped for good works? And I always tell you, there are some people when they are confronted by scriptures like this, they immediately think, you know what, this is from a time, this is from a different time. It's clearly from another culture. At least you can admit that. But what they will automatically think is, you know what, this is not something for us today. And maybe they will want to reject these scriptures and want to kind of get rid of it, dismiss the whole thing, say, you know what, this, and I'll tell you, that's a, that's a pretty natural thought. 
If you have had that thought, if you started reading the scriptures before, if you started in this already and you're like, what in the world are we doing at church this week? I understand that. Some people will want to just dismiss the whole Old Testament together or maybe even be done with Christianity because of things like this. And before you do that, I want to ask you to consider a couple of things before you ditch all of this. And the two things are culture and purpose. Culture, uh, this scripture indeed was written a long time ago and was written to people in a very different culture than our own, even very different maybe even than the Middle East today, but much closer to like a tribal kind of Bedouin culture almost, something closer like that. I I think about old stories. Think about maybe the Iliad and the attack on Troy. You can think about images like that, and we, we read that those writings in their own cultural context. We understand them in their context. We want to understand this in its own cultural context as well. And we're going to do that more in the weeks ahead. I will tell you, we're not going to get into that today, but next week when we overview Joshua, we will get into that a bit more. But we also need to understand the purpose of Scripture. What is the purpose of Scripture? Why Why do we have these scriptures here. Why do we even have these? And I think it's helpful for us to realize some of the presuppositions that we have when we come to it that make us want to reject it. Because one of the automatic assumptions that we have when we come to the Bible is, I am reading this because it's supposed to make me learn how to be good. If we think that we're reading something, this is going to tell me how to be good, you're going to be sorely (laughs) mistaken and a little disappointed, I think, Uh, partly because these are not people that we want to emulate always. Uh, Scripture is not meant to make us just be good. it's, It's all about God's interactions with his people. What God is doing in a global sense with his people, and it does tell real stories about real people. And there are places where it instructs us, you need to live this way or that way, but that's not the whole thrust of Scripture, and certainly not in the Old Testament as it tells the story of his people. God is calling out a people to belong to himself. The, the grand sweep, I almost started speaking French, grand, you hear that? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, sorry, made my, only my wife laugh right there. That was great. Um, uh, so in our last section of Immerse that we uh, just, we went through, we went through the first five books of the Bible. And as part of that, you know, there was God's law. We read through Leviticus. You had two sermons on Leviticus, uh, which is two sermons more on Leviticus than I've ever preached in my life. And uh, so when we looked at those things like the law in Leviticus, what did we have to do? We had to take a step back and look at some of the, the broader sweep of what God was doing in salvation history, in the history with his people, what he's up to in the world. And when we look at the larger narrative of scripture, we were able to understand what God was doing in those places. And, and it had a place. We actually were able to find its place. And what we're going to do is we're going to do the same thing with these scriptures. We're going to find their place a lot better as we look at the larger sweep of where God is going in scripture. It's going to help us a lot. So we're going to need to do that. So as you read through these different things, I hope you'll you'll join along with us and, and read with us. I think one of the things that you're going to read and one of the things you're going to feel as you read is you're going to say, this is not the way things are supposed to be. This is not the way things are supposed to be. And you know what? The characters, even in these biblical texts, also think the same thing. 
They go, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This isn't the way that God intended for it to be. And this whole immersed book that we're going to get here from, from Joshua to 2 Kings, it's going to leave you in some ways longing for more. You're going to read this and say, I think there should be something more than this. This is not all that it should be. We should long for there to be true justice in the world, not the way it is in those scriptures. We want there to be true peace for people that brings real security. We want people to live in harmony with each other and really in good relationship with God. That's not what we see here. I don't know if you remember, I don't know if you ever did this game when you were a kid where you would have like 30 different objects on a table and then one person is supposed to kind of turn their back and not look and then you remove one thing and then the person turns around and the challenge is what's missing, right? And see if you can recognize what thing is missing in there. I don't know, it's maybe like an IQ test or something. It's really, it's not very easy. It's always a lot harder to do it that way than if you put one new thing out. If you put a new thing out, you'd be like, oh, that's the thing. That's the new thing. But when something is missing, it's a little bit harder to see it. And what I want to tell you is, as we read these things, the things that will stand out to you are some of the shocking things. But what I want us to have our eyes open to is the thing that's missing. What's the thing that's missing here? And, the, and each time as we read through it, you're going to see the thing that's really missing is this thing that we're longing for. That's what we're left a little bit hungry, saying, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. We're longing for something that is there, this true justice and peace that's supposed to be there. Although there are glimpses of it. There are glimpses of those things in these stories. God is fulfilling his promises. He he promised to these people that I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to do these things. I'm going to be with you. God promises things to them. He, He does raise up faithful leaders. Whether those leaders are always stick with it, that's another thing. The highlight of the whole thing, I got to tell you, the brightest spot in this whole thing is the book of Ruth. Really so beautiful. Uh, Ruth herself is a, is a wonderful figure of somebody who's so faithful and willing to, to stick through difficulty. And even the, the I don't want to throw away the end, but the guy that she meets named Boaz, uh, really wonderful, faithful figure as well. And that story takes place during the time of the judges. Uh, the judges, the, all the wacky miscreants, right? That's the word we use, miscreants. Um, in the midst of that, there's two faithful people that we meet, well, three even, and Naomi in there as well. And so we see these faithful people, and it's really super hope-filled. And some of that gives us a glimpse of somewhat of what it's supposed to be. So there's this island of what it's supposed to be, surrounded by what it's not supposed to be, and you see it a bit. We're still left, though, longing for more. So I I will say, you know, some people, when they look at the wide world, they look at the universe, they say, you know what, I see these things, and and my conclusion is there's no God. There must not be a God here because it's of a lot of different reasons uh, that people will give. And and just as an aside, I want to say sometimes one of the reasons that they give is actually the misbehavior of the people of God. That when Christians... Sometimes Christians are the reason why people don't want to be a Christian. And that is not good. And I, and I feel that a bit in some of the weight of this, that the way that the people are that makes us not want to be those things. Uh, but let's not let it be that. But if there is no God, if, if somebody is uh, 
So to somebody who doesn't believe in God, if there is no God, then that means that the things that we long for, the things that we, that we want to accomplish, that those things will never actually come to any lasting fruition. Those things won't actually mean something, not only even if it's not only in your life because you're going to die and it means nothing, but even, frankly, through society, even if our goal is the human race and we want to see humans to achieve something, well, eventually, I don't know, what's the, how many billions of years till the sun expands and takes over the earth and, I don't know, how long, t- how long till the end of the, the, uh, the total cooling of the universe, right? All that kind of, eventually, everything is going to end if we don't believe in God. Even whatever great aspirations we have, really come to nothing because uh, it all is for nothing. But the Christian worldview is different, the way that we see things. There, there are a lot of different arguments that we can have for God, the existence of God. But among them, uh, it's interesting, the writer C.S. Lewis, uh, he says this in a really great way. There's, a, there's one of the ways that he talks about the proof of the existence of God that's connected to the longings that we have. And he says this, he says, Uh, this is in his book, Mere Christianity. I'm just going to read this passage that he has. He says, The Christian says, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. I think it means people, but we get it. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures ever satisfy it, that doesn't prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care on the one hand, never to despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings, and on the other, never to mistake them for something else from which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. The things in this world are not the ultimate things. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of my life to press onto that country and to help others to do the same. So what he's saying is that the longings that we have, if we long for true justice in the world, if we long for there to be real and lasting peace, if we long for there to be real security, a place that you can actually be safe and be yourself, then the reason why we long for those things is that we actually can expect them. That God has built into his world a place where we would be able to have those things be fulfilled. So here on this earth, there are times when we say, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This isn't, this isn't what I want. This is not right. But that's, that's a right longing. That we have a hunger for something and we need to look for more. So when, when we read through Joshua and we feel like in our world, like God is acting in a way that's a bit confusing to us or we don't understand, does that ever happen to you? You feel like you don't understand what God is doing? That is a proper longing for us to long for God. Uh, when you feel like, uh, depending on who is the leader in your country, it feels like things go up and down. If you ever have that feeling, it sounds a little bit like the judges. 
When you feel like there's a cascade of bad things that happen even to good people, it's not supposed to be that way. That sounds a little bit like Ruth. When you feel like God's promises seem delayed, like, God, when are you going to take care of these things? Or when you, when you fail miserably and you need redemption, all of those things are things that we can see in here. And I think that those are times when we sense those in our own lives, when we can start to be able to see in these scriptures that they were God-breathed, that they've got something for us, that they've got something to be able to teach our hearts about God's faithfulness, about what God is doing even in people like us. Because what happens is in the book of Joshua, people are saying, they come out of the Exodus and they're saying, you know what, if we can only just find a place where we can finally rest and be at peace, then everything's going to be okay. But what happens? They get there and it doesn't make everything okay. And, And they say, you know what, you know what we really need? We just need leaders who can sometimes guide us. The problem is we just don't have good enough leaders who are going to be able to direct us toward God. Well, that ends up not being the case in the judges either. Maybe the problem is we need a king. We need something a bit more permanent. And I will tell you, it does actually end up helping for a little while. It does make things more stable for them. Uh, but when they get this king, it it's, it's, ends up being still a problem. Their lives aren't perfect. And in fact, the kings end up being, depending on their personality, they end up being despots. They end up being people who uh, abuse other people, steal their land, or do things that you would expect somebody who has absolute power to do. It's not always pretty. And sometimes they are evil themselves. Sometimes they reflect the society around them. Every once in a while, there's somebody who does what's right. But when we think, oh, you know what, I just need a leader who's going to do that thing, then that's going to make everything okay. And it turns out that that isn't the case either. So it's not all those, none of those things ever satisfy. They never get there. It says, all scripture is God-breathed, and it does direct me in my longing, even these books. And the book of Hebrews, which we read not that long ago, makes some big claims also about the book of scripture, about scripture in general. It says this, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. I I think that there is a, these people are, this is not a a description of people that's given a rosy picture of life uh, that's there. It is an account that is uncovered and laid bare. And I think it's helpful for us to wonder as we think through this, what would be a larger story that's told about our lives or about our community, about our church over a longer period of time, that faithfulness isn't just in the moment. It can be, but it's also about faithfulness in a longer period. But what's amazing about that particular verse in Hebrews is he ties it back to a book that's, that we're doing here in Immerse. He ties it to the book of Joshua. And the writer of Hebrews says this. This is just before that bit we read. He says, For if Joshua had given them rest, I think this is wonderful, he's interpreting the whole book of Joshua, and he says, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience." 
So the, the writer of Hebrews, the lesson that the writer of Hebrews takes from the whole book of Joshua is that there's these people that even though they went into the promised land, uh, that they never were actually able to enter into true rest. That they went in that place and they never were able. They, they still were longing for something right and good. And that is a good desire on their part. And what scripture tells us is that in the end, those desires are met in Christ. This one who went before us, who waged war against evil, but did it in a way that he didn't conquer other people, but he accepted violence on himself. This Christ who was willing to die in our place. Christ who exemplified the faithfulness of Ruth and of Boaz. A, a, a man who was faithful, even surrounded by violence. And he was willing to go and speak peaceably to people, but also to be willing to be the one to step in our place and be our redeemer. A Christ who is a better king even than David. The king who we really need. Not only the one who is willing to fight, the one who is able to save, the one who is able to protect and rule in a good way. That Christ is the one all along that we have been longing for. And that's what the book of Hebrews says. That if you want, if you are longing for something more as you read these things, that is the right track to be on. Because the thing that God is doing all along is that he was sending his true king, his true leader, his true conqueror all along. So if you ever feel discontent in your life, if you feel like you're longing for something more, I think we need to look at the larger story about what God is doing what God is doing. We, we want him to fix broken systems. We want him to, we want more from our friends and family, maybe even relationally. We want, uh, we want for more from ourselves so that we will actually be able to do what we want to do. And I think sometimes we can't help but longing for a little bit more from God, frankly. That longing in our hearts is right. So let's look at these scriptures we're going to read these, and I want us to, to consider our own divided hearts that kind of look a little bit like the people we're reading about. Uh, we can think about how we oftentimes do push God aside, and it ends up to their detriment. I think looking at this long path of people's lives can help us to think about our lives in the shorter term, and we can end up putting our hope in God. In uh, The last thing I want to close with is this quote from St. Augustine of Hippo. In 398, he wrote this. This is in his book, Confessions. He says this, You, God, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And I think that that is the thing that we are going to take away from this, is that we want true rest, and that true rest is going to be in God. Let's pray. Lord, I, I ask you to help us as we look at these scriptures to, to struggle in a new way. What does it mean for things to be God-breathed? Uh, what does it mean that it is sharp like a two-edged sword? May our eyes be open to you. Uh, maybe even in places in our regular everyday life, it sometimes feels like those are places that are separate from our faith life. May we engage with you in our daily, everyday walk. We pray in Christ's name.